Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self, a conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I am also known on the Crucible as Alex, and I am joined by my Keyforge chum, my Keyforge compadre, my Keyforge pal. It's Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's the haps, Blake? Hey, man, what's going on? Oh, you know. Just staying indoors and playing Keyforge online. How about yourself? Pretty much the same, but I'm also getting into the Lord of the Rings LCG since I can play it solo. The solo life. Wow. So w- w- would you say that that is sort of like your your appetizer for Keyforge? Is it like a digestif? Do you play it before or after, or does it scratch a different itch? Uh, yeah, it's just something different because right now, so for me personally, I liked playing Keyforge because I enjoyed disconnecting from technology and getting to play the game um, with other people and like having that tactile aspect to it. And now since we're only playing Keyforge Online, I need something else to disconnect from technology and have that tactile feel. So Marvel Champions and the Lord of the Rings LCG uh, both have that solo player ability. So it gives me that opportunity to disconnect and still play a game. I think I mentioned this on the podcast one other time, but uh, I think my biggest problem with playing any solo card game is I would be so tempted to cheat and there would be nobody there to call me on it. So you're a cheater by nature? No, no, only against (laughs) myself. Only when it harms me, never when it harms my opponent. Please. (laughs) With that said, um, the amount of Keyforge that we've been playing online has really led me to go back and revisit some older decks. And you and I were just chatting before the show, and we both mentioned that we've been revisiting some of our AOA decks. That's been a ton of fun, I found. Yeah, I've been enjoying it too. Um, Actually, believe it or not, you are the reason why I started this journey, because you gave me a pretty hot Italian AOA deck and with the ability to only play things online, it's like the perfect opportunity to get to know that deck. And I've been loving it and it made me go, Hmm, I wonder what other AOA decks I got out there as well. Yeah. I, I very much, I had this moment where I was just like, I just want to play something really different, but with some fun stuff in it. Um, I think I've mentioned before that I, uh, sometimes play my, uh, my Brig deck, uh, the song that absurdly expects the stars. But for some reason, I just got a hair up my butt the uh, over the course of the past week, and I really wanted to play with this deck I have called Kalita, the Mayor of Pollution, which is Logos Shadows Untamed. Um, it's got a couple of interesting things about it, but the weirdest combo in it that it has is it's got the Sting, and it's got Scientifical Hack, so you can get rid of the Sting on any turn without calling Shadows which is a really fun, neat little thing that you can do. It's also got two legacy do fairies in it, which is really weird. Um, is it weird. doesn't have much in the way of Amber control, but like it's a fun deck to play. Yeah, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah, it's it's just fun to dig back in. And it's weird how much our perspective on AOA, I think, has really changed over the course of like the existence of Worlds Collide. Because, you know, we, we've talked about it before. We were so sick of AOA by the time that Worlds Collide came out. Like Worlds Collide was just like this blast of fresh air. And it basically everybody was so excited and it felt so good. And nobody even wanted to look at AOA. Nobody wanted to touch it. People were just constantly slagging it online. And now I'm kind of like, Man, AOA's tasting pretty good these days, or at least the good AOA decks, I should say. Yeah, I think part of it, too, is like now that there's so many Worlds Collide online, when you do play an AOA and you get to play against a Worlds Collide, it's actually a different experience because we're used to playing AOA against AOA or against uh, Coda, and the Coda matchup is usually not very good. But against Worlds Collide, it actually has a different play experience, a different feel, and it's something new, and I think that's a big part of it. 
Yeah, no, it definitely feels that way. And, you know, there is just a pleasure from excavating your own collection and finding hidden gems or decks that you kind of overlooked or maybe only played a couple of times and then going back to them and really going, man, I actually had fun with this deck. Like, I'm looking at some of my, my AOA decks and going, I actually did okay with this in organized play. Like, I won, you know, four games one day with it and then never touched it again. Why didn't I? You know, maybe I got lucky that day or maybe there was something more that I didn't look into. Yeah, that's very true. So, uh, let's get on to this week's segment. I think we're going to do a Would You Rather. I understand that you have one for me this week, Blake. I do, and you asked for me to give you no information. We're going to do this one kind of on-the-fly analysis, so to speak. All right, all right. So, Alex, would you rather have a General Order 24 in your deck or a Fangtooth Cavern, an <laughs> artifact one? So, for those who don't know General Order 24, because it's, it's a bit more on the rarer side, I think, than the Fangtooth Cavern, uh, strictly because it is a rare. Um, it states, it's an artifact that states, a law artifact, in fact, and it states at the start of each player's turn, they must choose a creature they control and destroy each creature of the chosen creature's house. If that player has no creatures in play, destroy General Order 24. And then Fangtoon Cavern, of course, says at the end of your d- turn, destroy the least powerful creature. And it is a untamed artifact. I'm going to say Fangtooth Cavern because I think Fangtooth Cavern is easier to control in a wider number of scenarios. There are undoubtedly decks where General Order 24 absolutely just nukes everything and you can use it to your advantage if you understand it. It's also one of those game-warping artifacts like Quixelstone. There's a lot of them in in Star Alliance, actually, now that I think about it. It's mm-hmm. one of those game-warping artifacts that if you understand how it works but your opponent doesn't, it gives you such a huge advantage. My issue with General Order 24 is the times that I've played with it, I've had such a hard time of engineering the board in such a way as to make it work as much to my or to my advantage and my opponent's disadvantage. It always feels like it's just working against both of us. You could say the same thing about Fangtooth Cavern, but I actually find Fangtooth Cavern relatively easy to figure out and control. I've played with Fangtooth a lot. I understand how to use Fangtooth, and I understand the ways in which you have to play with Fangtooth, whereas General Order 24 at this point, I don't have that kind of mastery. So I, I would say Fangtooth, but there is something deeply intriguing about a really good Gen- uh, General Order 24 deck that I would really love to explore at some point. Okay, so one thing for me is um, with General Order 24 is I think that the difference between Fangtooth Cavern and General 24 in, in general is that Fangtooth, you can most likely play at any given time and it can have a good effect. Like you, you'll know whether you want to play it or not pretty much before the game starts based on your deck's composition of creatures, right? Like I think that's a, that's a fair statement. With General Order 24, I think it comes down to the timing of when you have the card because there can be moments where you're just discarding it because A, you have a better creature state or there's a diverse creature state. I think that is the most um, ineffective time to play it. It's when there is a lack of diversity and you can play it on your turn, especially if your opponent only has one set of creatures out, like one house, you know they're going to wipe that side of the the board out. Uh, but when you have all three houses represented, it it basically gives you a chance to nitpick and play around it. But when it's like, I find like early game or just after something's happened, like there are ways I feel like you can engineer it to, to great effect. 
but it requires more setup where Fangtooth Cavern, the literally the only setup you have is my creatures are bigger than yours. That's the only thing you mm-hmm, need to consider mm-hmm. when you're playing it. So I think it, it has more of a complexity to it and it's more situational of when you drop it. Like you can sometimes like, I think it's a good card to even archive and save it for that moment when the, the board state switches to something that's more manageable for it. So me personally, I think it's obvious as I like general order 24, not just because I'm star alliance or die, but because I like that aspect, that thought of having to do it. Cause I think it's also harder for your opponent to play around general order 24. Once you get it, cause you get a free go basically. Like as soon as you drop it, you know, that's going to happen where I think with the Fangtooth Cavern, it's a lot easier to play around and you can actually abuse it to to work against your opponent. Mm -hmm. Very true, very true. Um, Let me ask you this. Um, How reflective of your play style is your preference for General Order 24, do you? I would say it is kind of reflective because like I, I like to think I'm a control player just based on the decks I gravitate to, the style that I end up playing. And um, I don't mind being in a position where I'm basically reacting rather than acting. So I feel like General General Order 24 is a reactive artifact because when you play it, Mm -hmm. you're actually reacting to something that exists and using it to your favor. And so I think that speaks to the type of player I am because I want to have something I'm going to drop and it's going to suddenly just have a huge swing in my favor. And if not, I'm patient enough to either not play it and discard it or to save it for later or even call a different house and just save up. Maybe do a slightly less efficient play, but it's going to give an opportunity for something else to happen. Like a a great way is sometimes if you establish a Star Alliance board, like a few creatures, Mm -hmm. and then you get General 24 after that because then you can drop it down with your Star Alliance creatures and you can take out maybe a house on your opponent's side so that Mm -hmm. they now either only have a one house left or two houses and hopefully it's a more even distribution so whatever they choose something's going like honestly the most ideal thing you can do is like let's say you go against a logos or a shadows house okay so they got dinos and shadows on their side and you just develop the star alliance board and then you go like quintrino flux is actually a perfect combination with this because you can really set up what you need this way and you can just take out those smaller like shadows or like logos creatures and leave them with just their dinos on the board, pop some wards even. Like your ability to set this up going off, there's no ability for your opponent to to prepare for it. It's like it's going to suddenly the ball's in their court and they have to make a decision. And a lot of the times there is no decision. It's like, okay, all this is gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would argue that um, I think that General Order 24 is a lot more deck dependent. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like Fangtooth, it's uh, it can work in a wider variety of decks. I mean, obviously there's some decks where uh, you know, uh, Fangtooth Cavern is going to be terrible. It's because oh, all of my creatures are super low powered. Well, great. Then my opponent's basically getting me to wipe my own board if I play this artifact. It's an instant discard. Um, but uh, you know, with with General Order Twenty Four, I feel like understanding the complexity of how it's played um, is is very dependent on both your skill as a player but also on the makeup of your deck and knowing how your deck is going to come up at the moment that you play it right just sort of that feeling that you get from playing a deck enough you know you and i talk about the idea that um some decks pull certain ways and if you play a deck enough you sort of understand what's going to happen even if you don't know what you're going to draw into and uh, i feel like general order 24 is one of those skill testing cards that really relies on you to understand what's coming from your deck 
so that you don't play it at the wrong time. Would you agree with that assessment? Yes and no. <laughs> okay. I, okay. What's I the think no? Fangtooth Cavern is much more deck dependent. Like much right. more. Because General Order 24, it doesn't matter how big your creatures are. It doesn't like the only thing that matters is the board that exists when you play it. And that's going to be a true statement no matter what deck you have or what you're playing. Okay, legitimate. The the where with Fangtooth Cavern is it actually matters. Your opponent could be like, like like for example, you could go in a matchup where it never works, but with General Order twenty four, it's going to always work. Like no matter what, it doesn't make a difference. Like what the the situation is, your opponent can play as little or as many creatures as they want. It still has the same effect. Okay, that's a compelling argument. Whereas I might, I might have Cavern, to give you this point. Yeah, because I mean, Fangtooth Cavern, I I like and I think it's really cool, and it's and it's going step by step. The the other th- reason why I I think Fangtooth Cavern is hard is because it persists no matter what. It persists. It's not like if there is no small creature, destroy it. That doesn't exist. Whereas General Order Twenty Four, it has a stopping point, and you can actually play around it and into it, so it works in your favor. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. We've been really getting into playing some online tournaments here in Vancouver. Um, it's been really heartening to have that outlet for Keyforge, even at a time when all of our local game stores are closed, when there's, of course, a lot of uncertainty in the world, when folks are sort of just looking for that one piece of normalcy. And I got to say, uh, just getting to play with the folks that I regularly play with, even though it's online, just using chat and uh, having the headsets going and everything else like that has really brightened up my week. Uh, I live entirely in this one bedroom apartment, but you know, it makes me feel like I'm getting out of the apartment when I get to play with you guys. Um, We had our very first sealed tournament with actual decks that we were pulling out of a box, you know, for the community this past week. How was that experience for you as the tournament runner, Blake? It was a little stressful getting everything organized to start with, but that's, I think, because it was the first time. But next time I I know exactly how to run it more efficiently and fluidly. But it was it was great. It was it was so easy. I mean, we had a fire box, honestly, that we used like two anomalies in the box and a legacy. Like it was it was pretty cool. And there were some fire decks outside of just even that aspect too. So it was it was a really good box. Mine was not one of them. No, mine mine was uh, average. I would say it, it had a, a decent SAS. Like it was, I think, sixty eight, but it didn't play like a sixty eight. It felt a little under. But it was it was fun. Like it was it was a great experience to get to play sealed and we got to take advantage of that the new tco uh trait of not having the deck list revealed which was perfect for this which uh thank you to cryogen and arthur our convict for making that happen and uh, yeah it was just a really fun way to kind of get together and have a tournament and we had a lot of players so we got to do four rounds which is great as well and just see everyone come together have discussions and uh, play a little keyforge which was really cool and we even had prize support too like we had we had the full shebang it was like an actual tournament and people got to have their QR codes from their decks afterwards to uh, test out which was amazing yeah that was actually a super cool feature so we ran down how you were going to run this tournament last week um what would you say the major pitfalls were in terms of it not going super smoothly first time out the major thing was like the setup time. Like it takes it takes like a solid half an hour to open all the decks, to take pictures of them, to make sure it's labeled whose deck the code belongs to, to get all the player profiles organized. Like now I have it so that anyone who sent me their player profile, I have it labeled so I know whose it is so that won't have to happen again. But it's just the opening the decks on stream so everyone sees the name and there's no like shenanigans or funny business. It's all staying really above board. 
And then anyone who's providing their own deck has to live stream to me to show me they're, they're opening the deck and give me the name, like a reverse way of that. So we can just allow for maximum players. And uh, yeah, that's that's the only thing is I think it's the the pregame setup. I would want to do it a little bit differently. And we even discussed that. Like everyone's like cool with me just doing it ahead of time and then just reading out the names rather than just the full opening and everything like that, which will go a lot more smoothly, I think. Yeah, I, I think that that's just one aspect of, you know, sort of us figuring this out as it goes. Um, for clarification, one of the reasons why you want everybody's QR codes uh, is so that you could then uh, – basically put all of the decks and the uh, people's uh, player profiles into the gem software so we could yeah. run it like a real tournament. Um, yeah, we're using gem for this and we and I have like access to a gem. Um, I have all the scanning so all the decks get registered going in. Unfortunately, there's no shards or like actual chains attached because of the OP being shut down, but it still provides that familiarity and that that fun tournament sense. Also, like the the standard sort of like, you know, strength of schedule that we're all used to at this point, the sort of unfathomable nature of gem, which is kind of, I guess, one of Keyforge's charms at this point. Yeah, I, I think it has to be at this point. <laughs> so you having played a lot of online tournaments, um, what aspect do you think that the chat brings to it? Because I was really surprised. I thought that I was going to spend a lot more time narrating my turn like I do when I play uh, Keyforge in real life. Okay, uh, I'm going to exhaust uh, Calm Officer Kirby, uh, or I'm going to reap with Calm Officer Kirby, get an Amber. Now I'm going to play uh, Binding Irons out of my hand. Uh, next, I'm going to attack with uh, Lieutenant Karkar. Uh, then I'm going to attach uh, Fran's Blaster to Fran. To ca- you know, I thought I was going to do that when we were talking, and it wasn't that at all. I spent all my time just like chit-chatting and catching up with folks. Is that sort of just a unique aspect of the situation that we're in on a global scale, or is that kind of always how these games go? Um, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, I think. I think I'm chit-chatting more, but it, it does exist in these but not not as much and i like it because you can say things like hey i played a stealth mode or i played an inky gloom like you just let people know give them an extra heads up when you play those cards that sometimes you know on tco you can miss so i I like that side of it too um aside from that yeah it's it's nice to just be able to to chat and when something happens you can like laugh about you know your your reaction isn't just something that you have by yourself it's something you can share with someone when something cool happens or a unique play things like that i think that's a really cool aspect yeah, I, I also really did enjoy having just that extra verbal reminder. Occasionally, it has been very easy to miss those cards when they get played, and then your turn is boned because you didn't realize it. And, you know, sometimes it's just a function of how fast people play their turns. It's also because, like, even when you, a turn ends, there's still a large chunk of text that shifts everything up from the, the log screen mm-hmm. because it's say, stating, like, is in check and as, like, keys cost this much player A has this much ember, player B has this much ember, you know, that just creates a significant amount of push up on the log where if you weren't watching it as it happened, um, you could just miss it. Like sometimes I like to start my turns by just taking a quick peek in the discard to be like, why is that there? And then it'd be like, oh, okay, they must've played it or it got discarded. I'm like, I don't remember seeing like, you know, stuff like that. It's just kind of a nice little uh, reminder because of how quickly things can happen. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's no fault of the, the Crucible. It's just like the way things can go and the nature of it. Like you you can't have it all ways sometimes if there's not a verbal cue. That way you have to be paying attention to that text. And sometimes it's a, it takes a matter of habit to be like looking for those sort of things. These were also some of like the purest games I've ever played in terms of replicating the idea of in-person Keyforge. 
Um, so many times if I'm playing on the Crucible and I like misclick or something, or I just do something in a way where I wouldn't have done it if I was playing live, either because of just missing something or overlooking something or something else like that, I'll just let it slide because it's not worth it to try and like explain things to the person I'm playing against. And I also don't want to waste people's time. When you're having games with people you already know and chats enabled, it makes it so easy to go, oh, shoot, do you mind if I manual that? Yeah, I, I find that's a really cool thing too. And I mean, there's also like, I find when you get sometimes in these moments when we have the Discord and everything running, I find TCO is a little bit slower at certain times. So sometimes you're clicking and it's lagging a little bit and you click again and it actually then suddenly goes to the next part and you're like, oh damn, I just clicked the wrong thing. Like I didn't want to fight with this. I was playing on Reaping with this. Or I didn't want to play it on the right. I wanted to like, you know, something like that where it actually matters. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So uh, I guess the big takeaway for our listeners for this one is uh, if you have been considering how you can still have a Keyforge experience that isn't just playing against randoms online, um, why not reach out to some of your local community members and talk to them about running a Keyforge tournament? It doesn't have to be as complex as the sealed tournament that we've described over the course of the last couple of weeks. It could be a straight up Archon tournament. You can do that. It's been happening since basically the birth of the crucible you could organize that with your local players um whether or not you can actually get a hold of prize support you could even track this and that the when all of this is over you could uh, perhaps uh, uh dole out some prizing or other things you could connect funds via venmo or paypal or something else like that and then award cash prizes there's all kinds of different ways that you could still have a keyforge in real life experience online and i would encourage you to look into some of those yeah, even order some decks online and get them shipped to you if you want to do the sealed thing. Like, get a bunch of people to do it or just have one person say, hey, guys, I'm going to buy, like, a, a display. Is everyone up for this? This will be the cost per deck. Um, there'll even be an extra, like, X dollars as a result, in which case we can put it towards having some prizing. And you just keep them. Like, that's what I did. Is I wrote everyone's name on the deck box that it came in. And so then afterwards, I know who I give it to, who they all belong to. And they have the code and they scan it into their system. Or everyone just buys their own code and then goes on stream and opens up their deck to show that everything's above board and, and shows their deck. And you can even do it that way. So it's it's always possible to find a workaround and still enjoy this game in its different variants. Well said. Well said. We cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. I've got one for us this week. Um, I was playing a game with my buddy Frank uh, the other night, in fact, during one of the tournaments that we just discussed, and uh, we were having a fun conversation while we were playing, just catching up, just going away at it, and uh, I did a couple of misplays that were literally just because I was on autopilot, and oftentimes I find that the mechanical aspect of playing online leads you to do things that you don't even think about, that you would never do if you were playing in real life. Um, because there's something specific about the sequence of things that has to happen for you to make a decision when you're doing it in real life that you don't replicate online. So if I'm in real life and I'm thinking, okay, I need to reap with these creatures, then I need to attack, then I need to do this, the number of thoughts versus then translating to your hands to go to touch your cards, to exhaust them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, leads to a more thoughtful approach when sometimes when it comes to playing online, it's so easy to start clicking. And you just click, 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 click. 
and suddenly you realize, wait a minute, I did that in a really stupid sequence, or I did that on autopilot because I wasn't thinking about what the cards actually do or what my actual strategy or what the best play would be. You know, it's all good and fun to have a conversation, but oftentimes I find the easiest thing if you're distracted by something else that's going on and you're playing online is to slip into that autopilot mode. So this is just a roundabout way of getting back to one of our old classic Keyforge lessons is be mindful in your play. It's okay to pause. Even if you're playing online and your opponent is playing super fast, it's okay for you to take a little bit of time to not just rush through your turn. And oftentimes, even if you know exactly what you want to do, just taking that extra 10 seconds at the beginning of your turn to look at the board state, look how much amber you have, see that there was nothing that you missed on your opponent's last turn can make all the difference in not making a dumb mistake that you could have avoided. Honestly, Alex, that's great advice. And it's the perfect segue for me because... Uh, this week on the United Archons podcast, Jupiter and I are actually going to be talking about playing Keyforge online and uh, some of the things you need to be mindful of and not fall into any bad habits that could affect your IRL gameplay. So um, after this, you can go check out that episode when it's available, if it's not available right away, and uh, just see, listen to some of our, our tips and kind of uh, warnings and things to be mindful of so that you don't get some bad habits from playing online during this time of isolation. That is a great topic for an episode. I cannot wait to listen to that. All right. This has been another episode of Help from Future Self. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash HFFS podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the same handle, HFFS podcast. You can find me as Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram, on Twitter, on The Crucible. Where can they find you, Blake? You can find me on Instagram. And Twitter at Boulevard Paper Fight, that's BLVD Paper Fight, as well as on the United Archons podcast with Jupiter. And as well, my YouTube is going strong right now. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get some content Lots out there content. for, for yeah, so everyone can enjoy. Um, there has just been a Crucible and Cognac episode recorded this week uh, with Aurora, and another one should be coming out in the next day or so. So uh, some more fun interview conversations. I can't wait to check all the new stuff out. However, we got to get out of here. Tune in again next week when we should have an interesting interview. And I'll leave it at that. You have been listening to Help From Future Self. Thank you so much. We'll see you again very soon. And until then, stay forward.